Well, hello and welcome to MatchCast. This is Brian Davidson, and today we have a special guest. We are chatting with Sarah Smith-Robbins, PhD, the Director of Learning Technologies, part of the marketing faculty at my alma mater, Indiana University, the Kelly School of Business. And uh, Sarah, I can say starting off right away, I certainly wish that you were at school, uh, especially teaching the courses you're teaching when I was there. Yeah, you graduated before I started. (laughs) Uh, Social media didn't exist before I started. Yeah. So uh, starting things off, can you just talk about your background in digital? So I have a really strange background that brought me to this. I think we all do. Yeah. <laughs> so my PhD is in rhetoric. So what I studied was persuasive communication, which aligns directly with marketing, but there was no PhD in marketing at Ball State where I graduated with my PhD. And so I aimed my rhetoric studies at online communities, specifically in video games to start. But then uh, social media was just such a big booming thing. Facebook was growing and Twitter was growing. And there were so many communities uh, popping up online. So I wanted to know more about how those folks were connecting. And then I started to apply that to marketing practices. And I really started at Kelly in the executive education program, helping them integrate technology into executive ed. And there were so many client companies that were partnering with Kelly that didn't know enough about social media for marketing purposes or just for internal communication purposes. Um, And sort of kind of stumbled into that application and then started teaching in the marketing department. What was the biggest hole you saw initially talking to these different companies? I think it was just a misunderstanding of what all these platforms can do. I think there were some stereotypes about like, for example, Twitter, when I would first talk to people about Twitter way back when they would say, well, I don't care what other people are having for lunch, so I don't use that. Or I'm too old to learn how to use that. And I I had to aim them at, you know, the outcomes that they could achieve with these tools and make them realize that they were far more powerful than the stereotypes that they had heard. That makes sense. I actually used to have a course where I tutored college coaches how to use social media in their recruiting. And a lot of them just looked at me wide-eyed and why would I do this? Because that's where your athletes are. That's where your consumers are. I always pointed it towards, you know, when I started college, I said I didn't want a cell phone. I can't imagine possibly walking more than two hours these days without a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a phone anymore. It's a communication device. It's an information device in lots of different ways. So what sort of trends are you seeing on campus in regards to digital and social? That's really interesting. I would say for the last three years, at least, especially on my undergrad classes, my students really don't like Facebook anymore. It's like a party that they really would prefer not to go to, but it's where their friends are. Sure. But if there was an alternative, they would jump on it with both feet. But they still see the utility in having a Facebook account. It's kind of like having an email at this point. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's funny, at the beginning of the semester, this semester, I asked them how much they would have to be paid to quit Facebook and never go back. And it ranged from 50 bucks to... $10,000. And the students who had these really high values, they said, 
It really was just the connections they had there. And they were afraid that if they quit Facebook, they would lose track of people. But if they could port those connections over to a different system, they would gladly do it because they just feel like Facebook is overrun with marketers and they feel like it's really um, overly busy uh, and, and kind of congested and they, they wish they could narrow it down. So they prefer Snapchat. They prefer sure. WeChat. Um, and they just they only use Facebook to connect with people, largely to IM with people. Makes sense. And then how does that differ with MBA students? MBA students are a bit more polished and professional and concerned about maintaining a really professional presence online. So they think that Facebook is a nice safe place to be where they can keep a polished presence. And then they keep their genuine interactions with one another in some kind of instant messaging app. And of course, they all talk up LinkedIn, you know, because it's a very important place to be. Though, you know, nobody hangs out on LinkedIn on a Friday night. You know, it's not a fun place to be. (laughs) So if they're in sales, they they believe in LinkedIn, you know, but if they're if they're doing anything else, LinkedIn is like, ah, I post my resume there. (laughs) Sounds about right. What sort of trends are you seeing with the companies that you work with? Well, so what I try to do is prepare students to know more than the companies that they go to work for. And because, you know, I'm sure being in the industry, you know, this stuff moves so quickly that just about anything I can teach them goes out of date before I can show it to them. Yeah, it's more about the methodology of that learning. So we have to move really quickly. And so I use the companies that we work with as sort of a barometer for okay, so this is where the industry is. This is what the industry understands. Now, how can I get my students, you know, a few steps ahead of that before they go out into the job market? So they're, you know, they can go into these jobs and actually teach people some things and, and move those those companies ahead. I've worked with, you know, big CPG companies. I've worked with B2B and industrial type companies. And by and large, the trend I'm seeing is that just recently in the last 18 months or so, I'm really excited more and more companies are realizing that they need partners outside the company, not replacements. So two or three years ago, every company I worked with had an agency that they trusted to do all of their social. And it's and I always tell them, it's like paying somebody to go on a date for you. It just doesn't work. It's not authentic, you know? Especially for the organic posting. Yeah, exactly. These people don't know your business the way you know your business. And they don't know the culture. Yeah, but if you partner with them, then, you know, you can create the content and they can help you uh, execute the strategy and then it can work. And I'm finally seeing companies bring some of that stuff inside. I'm finally seeing them understand that there's a connection between sales and marketing. When you go online, especially for B2B companies, that their salespeople really need to understand social media and how to create relationships and not just sell at people, Mm -hmm. Um, which (laughs) it was kind of the style a few years and I'm, I'm really starting to see companies understand that they can build relationships with consumers using these channels and then I'm trying to get my students up to speed on how to do that tactically so they can measure it and, and that's another thing I'm, I'm finally seeing companies that feel like they can actually measure the return on their investments in social and a few years ago it was just kind of cross your fingers and hope black box. Yeah. And I just believe if if you can't measure it, don't do it. Makes sense. You spoke to this a little bit earlier. Can you talk about how you try to keep your curriculum relevant in this ever-changing digital world? So I torture my students with a lot of research articles. (laughs) So rather than reading industry reports or case studies, 
which is kind of the, uh, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of business school. Sure. Those case studies, it's a story of what somebody else has already done. And if there's anything true of social and digital marketing is that novelty is an important part of it. And what somebody else has done successfully, that's not something you can just copy and paste and try again. So we really focus on the models that are coming out of all of the great research that's going on and the insights that those things provide and then turn those into strategy and tactics that can be implemented. Interesting. So for example, I've just banned the sales funnel from any conversation in any of my courses. All of my students have been trained on the sales funnel and it's just the most outdated model ever. And so we start out with Edelman's consumer decision journey instead. I don't know if you've seen that, yep. but instead of a funnel, it's a loop, right? And then we use those, st- those stages in a relationship building to, to figure out how to develop strategies and where to put budgets um, rather than a funnel. And just using models like that that are coming out of research and coming out of firms like yours rather than from the brands themselves, we get a little bit ahead of the, of the curve. We always talk about that journey to purchase. Usually it starts off with tools like a Facebook video, building an audience, and then retargeting, and then banners, and email, and multi-platform campaigns, and they obviously all work together. Yeah, all those, all those pieces go together to affect a consumer's opinion, their, their level of awareness, and their decision to purchase. But I think what a lot of brands have done is they've put about 80% of their budget into that pre-purchase relationship building. And I coach them to put about 60% into their post-purchase relationship building instead and shift some of that. that long term. Yeah, because um, a happy customer is better marketing than you could ever buy. And not only do you build loyalty for repeat purchase, but you also get those brand advocates who are way more persuasive than any marketing message that you put out can be. And I, I usually equate it to kind of being a bad date, you know, and which my students can relate to. <laughs> you know, you, you know somebody that you really want to go out with, you make sure that you look nice and you smell nice whenever you're going to see them. And then you ask them out and you go out on the first date and you, you put on your best face for that first date. But when they agree to go on the second date, you just show up in pajamas with bedhead. We would never do that, right? But that's what we do to consumers when all we want is just that purchase. Not if you want a third date. Yeah. So we've got to look good for the second date and the third date and the fifth date, you know? And then the, the, the analogy kind of breaks down because after that, we really want them to tell their friends to go on dates with us. And that doesn't really work. <laughs> but up to that point, the analogy works. And my students seem to understand and companies seem to understand now, but they don't quite know how to do that because they've always been geared towards just closing the deal. Awesome. So are you uh, simulating these types of campaigns on campus or in the classroom? Yeah, it's really tough to do a genuine simulation. So there are a couple of companies out there that have digital marketing simulations out now. I've tried them all. I'm not happy with any of them. And so what I have just decided to do is just to put my students out there and get their hands dirty. So we do things like... um, in my courses in the spring, I have students actually write BuzzFeed articles that they think will spread. And then they engineer the spread of that and track it and try to draw attention to it and drive traffic to it and track their own campaign just to like a BuzzFeed article. So we do stuff like that. We do a little bit of AdWords experimentation because that's fairly easy to do. And most of them have access to some kind of website or we'll build a quick and dirty website on a Google site and put the code on it. So we can do that. 
but it, it's just not as easy to to get like sponsoring client companies in to give the students real life projects because it's just really difficult to manage. And the platforms are changing so quickly. It's hard to simulate anything that by the time you create a simulation, the platform has changed. Yeah. And in as much as a small company might really appreciate the help for a semester from students, I hate to leave them hanging once the students are done. Makes sense. Just the overall digital classroom and changes you're seeing, what do you think it's going to look like five years from now? Wow. I, it's a tough question. I mean, most of the faculty I know, at least, the ones who are willing to talk to me, <laughs> knowing what I do and how I think, um, don't have rules about technology in the classroom anymore. You don't get these faculty who are like, don't bring your laptop to class. I don't want that screen in front of your face. Most folks are smart enough now to know that it's a resource that students can use and that if you're engaging enough, they're not going to choose to search on Facebook instead of paying attention. You know, we have to compete with the, the technology and integrate the technology in meaningful ways. So we're seeing some really exciting trends in the faculty's technology linking up with the student technology in the classroom so that we can collaborate better. So we've got tools here now where I can create a local area network basically in a classroom. And when students are working on a project, I can just select their screen from mine and pop it up on the big screen in the class. And we can talk about it and critique it and then they can take it back and we can snag another student's screen and, and put it up without anybody moving from their seats. So that kind of technology is really awesome. I sure wish that existed in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> We're also seeing some really exciting developments in online education. You know, I can go put a little plug in here for Kelly. Now we have the oldest online MBA program out there. Everybody's acting like that's a newfangled thing, and we've had one for a long time. And we're seeing there's a shift in online education from teaching at people to teaching with people. And so the technologies that we're implementing now are much more about conversations with students and collaboration with students rather than lectures. Lecture is the only teaching method that has been proven to be ineffective everything else you have a chance of doing something great so we really try to, to push people to innovate and to let students have more control in the class how are you seeing the changes in these marketing techniques affecting the actual job market well there's the myth and then there's the reality right so my students are really paranoid that everybody they apply with is going to spend hours googling them and find every little dirty secret from their high school to their <laughs> baby pictures right but the reality of what I'm seeing and when I talk to recruiters is that, especially in marketing, recruiters are smart now and they're looking at students as a product and they're saying, if you want to market my brand, you've got to be able to market your own brand. So I want to see how you're promoting yourself and your skills online and your personality. Do you present yourself as a balanced person online? And, and I now have students who actually promote their self-marketing abilities as something that that they can bring to the table for an employer and the savvy employers are picking up on that. Uh, speaking of employers, is there a particular example of a company you want to point out that you think is doing a really good job uh, using the techniques that you're teaching? Hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of one that I- Maybe I'm the Kelly School of Business. Of. Yeah. The Kelly School of Business is doing it. The students I have that end up places like uh, a lot of the consulting firms, like places like Deloitte, find that those consulting companies are much more open to innovation and to accepting a model they haven't heard of and seeing it as something they might be in, you know, uh, informed by. 
I'm okay. still a little bit disappointed with the CPGs where my students go because they seem to be sort of ingrained in the models that they've been using in the past, or they've invested in some dashboard tool so heavily that they're letting it guide their strategy rather than the other way around. But smaller brands are doing really well. Small companies are are integrating this stuff in really smart ways. And so that, that's where I see the exciting stuff happening. Awesome. Uh, anything particular you want to plug or tell us that you've got coming up? Mm, nothing specific. I'm trying to think. Okay. Well, why don't you tell the listeners where we can find you on social? Uh, so because I was Sarah Smith before I got married, try to get that as a username anywhere. <laughs> I tried to buy uh, Brian Davidson at Gmail from the guy who got it before me. Yeah. And yeah. He said it was... Not up for sale. I made quite a dollar off of selling sarahrobbins.com a while back. <laughs> um, so I'm in Telegirl everywhere. That's been my username okay. for forever. Uh, and I've tried to keep that kind of unified. And I use it as an example with my students to say, hey, have a personal brand. So I've got the, the pink swash in my hair and the Intelligirl logo, and it's all over the internet. So I'm pretty easy to find. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And I'm sure our listeners will find this fascinating. I hope so. Have a good one. And we'll hopefully talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye.